the Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is the Magic Mike Show, episode 418, Mr. Summich. Huzzah! Another Keelan huzzah. It's uh, it's a good Thursday afternoon. The weather's pretty nice out here for me, at least in California. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm wearing Breeders' Cup paraphernalia every day until we get to uh, until we get to a wonderful next Wednesday when we actually get there. I'm actually pumped. I found a poker room in North Carolina that is exactly middle distance between Lexington and where I am right now. So I am dropping my wife off. She's going to fly away. With the daughter on Tuesday, and I'm going directly to the casino to play poker for two days, and I'll go to Lexington, then I'll go from there to play poker for three more days, and I'll, it's just like, I'm so excited about this week. It's going to be a blast. God, yeah. you love your wife's vacation more than she does. Listen to yeah. that. Yeah, I know. It's, I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited, man. It's going to be so fun. Uh, I, got, over I, got, under- I got YouTube TV. If you have YouTube TV and you subscribe to the sports package, you get Red Zone. That's the only reason I did this. I like scramble to do it week one. They also give you Poker Go. Poker Go is a channel that only shows poker, but it's like high stakes poker from like 2003, 2004, a bunch of like the old tournaments, like the Moneymaker, uh, and he's gone. So Aaron, the Moneymaker tournament comes on from <laughs> the Moneymaker tournament comes on from the old ESPN channel. So I got to watch that. So I'm pumped up about all these different poker shows that I get to watch now because I subscribe to Red Zone. I heard everything you said, but it kicked me out of the It was the weirdest thing. I could still hear you. And then Eric came in. I was like, wait, what the heck? It was so bizarre. I don't know what happened. I put Aaron uh, in the last second, and he he looked like a, a deer in headlights. He was just terrified. <laughs> it just popped up onto the screen. Huzzah! There you go. Uh, especially with the borders up. It's just perfect. Uh, I have YouTube Premium. I don't have YouTube TV, but I did. I had looked into it at one point. If I was more into sports, I probably would have or had more time for football. I probably did, would get it because of that red zone package. It was pretty intriguing. It's like an extra seven bucks or something. So it's totally worth it if you're into sports. <laughs> uh, listen, we're going to be looking at Keeneland's uh, late pick five on Saturday. This is the last weekend at Keeneland before the Breeders' Cup. And we're all very excited. If you haven't seen over our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash racing dudes, ton of Breeders' Cup content. We've got multiple videos coming out every single day through the week and into next week. And then Monday, Mike, that's when we're drawing the races at 1130 a.m. Pacific, 230 Eastern. We're covering all that right here on the Racing Dudes channel live. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, no Magic Mike on Monday because it's all about these Breeders' Cup entries. Uh, Looking forward to seeing how the draw goes this year. One of the things that really stood out to me last year was some phenomenal turf horses that drew outside. Uh, It seemed like in all those races, you had a lot of the favorites that had tough trips, tough tough outside posts, which either major forces forced you to say, okay, I think I'm going to really like this horse. I think they're the best. They're going to get it done. Or it allowed you to look for prices toward the inside or in different positions. So see how these draws go. Obviously going to have some huge fields again this year in a lot of the turf races. I think it's going to be uh, more important there than you've seen a lot of the dirt races. Uh, speaking of that, we've got three stakes on this card of, of, of the for the pick five for the sequence. Uh, two of them are graded. A lot of horses that, you know, just maybe a cut or two below the Breeders' Cup, but still a lot of talent. I'm excited to talk about it. You ready for it, buddy? Let's do it. Riders up. Mike, first leg of the late pick five at Keeneland on Saturday, October 29th, race six. It's the Bowman Mill Stakes for seven juvenile males going six furlongs on the main track. You know, it's funny. We started off last week's show with the Perryville Stakes, which was seven furlongs on dirt. Or sorry, it was seven furlongs on dirt for three olds. Now we're six furlongs for seven of them. Where are you going on top here? Slight cutback here for the Magic Mike show. Um, look, there's seven horses in the field. Six of them show speed. Who do you think I'm taking? Give me the one horse. Uh, Raise Kane. The only horses can come from off the pace. Uh, also has pretty solid numbers as well. Debuted at six and a half, had some struggles there. Uh, comes back, second race out, runs at seven furlongs, able to get the job done, coming from off the pace. Took a nice step forward uh, for the son of violence. Violence. Who went for $180,000 into the Ben Colbrook barn. This just sets up beautifully for someone to be able to close into this and run away from them. You've got three horses that are just dead speed, and the other three want to be speed and probably aren't fast enough. And you have was it one, two, three, uh, four horses, 110 plus on the early time form rating. 
And they're all two-year-olds who want the lead. So they're going to be flying up front, just <laughs> flying. And it sets up really well for the one-horse race, Kane. Yeah, I didn't, I'm with you. I didn't touch any of those 100-plus uh, time form early pace figure horse. I'm sorry, I did take one, but wasn't uh, just kind of as like a saver. Like, you know, maybe this is the one that can hold off and do it. We'll talk about it in a second. I didn't use the one because I was a little concerned that the horse was going to be pinched a little bit too far back being – uh, on the rail here when there is a lot of speed i was worried he might get too far back and at six furlongs might not be able to get the job done like he did going seven which is a trickier distance for a lot of horses a lot of these two-year-olds if it was six furlongs they're they're more likely to survive that little bit in the stretch as they're stumbling home if this race was seven furlongs like i was stumbling over when i first started talking about this race then i would love this horse but because it's six furlongs i did pass i think he's excellent underneath i just don't think that the uh, that winning at six is what he's going to be best at when they go 21 and three, you're going to be begging that you had the horse <laughs> closing. Because that, that, you have horses in here that have gone 21 and four, and they've all quit when doing it. This is going to be sub-22 opening quarter, just based on the way that the number of horses that want the lead and the way they're going to run. So um, I, I, you're going to really have to hope that that they run the one off his feet if he's not going to be making a pretty big move around the turn. I did go too deep here. I went with a three-horse quick hammer as my other horse, Brad Cox, Luis Saez. Great connection there. One nicely at Backwoodhook. The time's not impressive, but the track was extremely slow that day, so I'm going to kind of give him a pass on the time perspective. Another horse showed the ability to be able to close and show speed and close there. Brad Cox, the two-year-old, never never a bad thing. More spirit. Stands for 5000 bucks. This horse sells for 100000 so, I, you know, I love it when you see those those big time tags on the, on the small time stud fees, especially when a, a trainer like Brad Cox gets the horse and he wins first time out and wheels it right back into his stakes. You know, I thought about the seven bourbon bash. That was the one on the outside looking in for me. But I ended up just going one three here. Uh, you talked about my top pick there, the number three quick hammer uh, for Brad Cox. We saw is the, the one thing you didn't mention, the runner up uh, Signator, who was seven and a half lengths clear of third, ended up breaking his maiden next out. Had a 73 buyer, which was the same as what he got for finishing second here, uh, but still was able to go out and win next time out. Um, but Saez and Cox, according to DR up, they're five for their last 11 together at Keeneland. That's Not pretty bad. good as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that this horse, maybe like you, you're thinking he's going to sit off of that pace wait for it to fall apart. And the reason this is my top pick, I think this is one that gets first jump and I think we'll be able to hold off the one horse. That's why I went with this horse on top. Now I'm intrigued. You said you used one of the four time 400 horses, the one and the three, yep. both sub 110 on time form, which Correct. over 110 did you use? Was it the seven? It was the six. I went with Hurricane J, a horse with two wins already, including over this course last time out. But a couple of angles here. Number one, I think this is the best. It is the best price of all of them, eight to one. Uh, but the horses had to fight both times to get the win. Last time out, I was able to fight, pull away a little bit on the, in the turn and clear off. But that first win at Ellis Park really had to fight hard and didn't come back with a strong buyer speed figure either time. But it's not really that. I mean, it was an 18% improvement from start one to start two. Now we're in a stakes. You could see the horse step forward. We're getting second time blinkers. And Paulo Lobo is so damn sneaky with the blinkers. Uh, when he adds blinkers, 19% winners with a 452 ROI. So this horse came through for that uh, at four to one last time out. And now I'm getting eight to one with a horse that's never lost, has shown a ton of fight, and has proven over this course and distance. Now, I, I, I thought about the six. Honestly, I, you know, I thought about the two. I thought about the six. I thought about the seven. I thought this was, was a tough race. And that's why I really leaned toward the, hey, I think the speed's going to give it up angle because it allowed me to narrow this down pretty quickly. And I didn't want to go five deep, four deep in a seven horse field where I'm not going to use the four <laughs> Jeremy's Jet, who's 30 to one. And I, th I think you could use right. You could make an argument for any of the other six. I mean, even Super Chow, who, you know, ran against Gulfport and Damon's Mound, two back, came back to win. Uh, you know, the five and mm -hmm. the the only two horses that have beaten winners before. Um, so that's a, that's, I'm sorry, the two has done it as well. Sir Lancelot won it, but that was over uh, synthetic at Presque Isle. So you, you've got a couple horses in here that I think you can go those directions. And you really just got to decide how you think this race is going to play out. Um, did you think about the two at all? I thought it was interesting that Jose Ortiz picked up that mount. Yeah, he, and he rode it at Presque Isle. It went over there for, uh, that must have been a really big day at Presque Isle a few weeks ago. Um, that's where we need Aaron to chime in, damn it. I don't know that. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> the fact that he did win a stakes, the fact that he is has beaten winners, you know, those are things in his favor, but he's inside, Not he's like inside all of the speed, and I don't think that's where he's going to be. Last time out, I mean, he got a huge flyer out of the gate, and if you look at the times they were setting, you're predicting, Mike, they're going to be a, a, a second faster than that. Yeah, I mean, 22 and three for six and a half furlongs there. If you if you look at like what the five horse Super Chow did, 21 and one breaking its maiden, 21 and four second time out. 
that horse has the speed to be able to get out there in 21 and change. And you've got four other horses that want to be on the lead. You got to think at least one of them is going to flash that type of speed as well, um, which could create havoc here in the final furlong or so. Let's move on. Mike's second leg of the late pick five at Keeneland on Saturday, October 29th, race seven. We've got an overdrawn field of 12 maiden boys, three and up plus four also eligibles. We're going six and a half furlongs on the main track, right? Yep. I'd make sure I get this run right. Uh, plenty of options in this one, especially from a price perspective. Uh, the favorite is Cape Trafalgar, who we talk about a lot is three to one. Uh, so where are you going to go here for your first one? I mean, he might have found his friends here. This is not an overly difficult field. Um, and a lot of the horses that have started before have left something to be desired. But I'm going to go with a five-horse, 10-to-1, plausible, plausible denial on top here for James DeVito. John Velasquez picks up this mount. A key to me here is a six-and-a-half furlongs. If you, if you kind of separate out his races into the races six-and-a-half plus and six-and-less, you did all the six-furlong races, not great. But the six and a half races, both solid. Uh, I'm sorry, the six and a half furlong race was a solid. Got an 80 buyer, ran second there. You go to the mile in a 16th race at Oakland, ends up running third. Has Velasquez up. Western River wins that race. Pretty solid race. The race before that at a mile at Oakland Park runs well. Those are his top three buyers, top three races of his career. I think the six and a half is the correct distance here for plausible denial. Um, and look, I, there's enough speed, but he can be tactical with his. It's a $375,000 son of a pioneer of the Nile. So there were big expectations here. I like the work two back uh, bullet out of 18 at Hawthorne. Then they decided to bring the horse down here to Keeneland. It's one of those where 10 to one, you get Velasquez up who has ridden this horse before. I, I, I think plausible denial is, or denial is interesting. Yeah, I went three deep, and this is one of the three that I used, and you touched on uh, all things that I had. Aside from, Mike, look at the value we're getting. This horse has been five to two once, and he's never been higher than two to one in any other start, and he's ten to one here. And I saw the same thing as you did, buddy, that six and a half is going to be the difference. You scratch off those three six furlong efforts, including the one last time out when he was just terrible. Something clearly went awry because we haven't seen him for a while. You scratch those off. Why does this horse not fit perfectly here? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of how I'm, I'm focusing on this race, is I think you can pretty easily scratch those three off. I did use Cape Trafalgar as my other must-use. The 11 fits here. You're getting second off a layoff. Uh, th like I said, this field isn't world beaters, and that race probably last time at Keenan was good enough to win this. Lost to Brigadier General that day. He's an okay horse. Uniki out of that first race is pretty good as well. So his loss is some decent horses. Uh, but it's kind of now or never for Cape Trafalgar. Like if he doesn't win here, I'm not sure you can play him at any type of price under like five, six to one. I don't think you're ever going to get that type of number on him. Yeah, I'm not going to play him here. I'm I'm going it, to, it's too short of a price in a field where I like horses at a price. And the way my ticket structure too, I, I am a little chalky in some other spots. So this was one where I think you can really beat him. It's also, I know a lot of people love to try and beat Safi away from uh, Gulfstream Park and, Maybe that's when we play him, right? Maybe that that period during the claiming crown season before the championship meet, Mike, when he's still a maiden, like, all right, now we're going to get him. Claiming crown Saturday, that's when this horse is going to finally get it done. Yeah, and Nick's asks, how have the morning lines overall been at Keeneland? <laughs> We've had a couple text chains about how bad they've been, uh, to be honest with you, Nick. It, it's been it's been kind of brutal. Like today there was a an instance where two horses were 20 to 1 on the morning line and they went off at 4 to 1 and 9 to 2 as the two favorites in the race. Um and it was predictable that both of those horses were going to get back. So I had them both on tickets. So uh, it, it's been a little rough on the morning line front, I'd say, at Keeneland. Specifically on the turf races, they've been wildly off. Um, the dirt races have been a little more accurate, mainly because the fields are a little smaller. It's a little easier to put a morning line on a seven-horse field than a 12-horse field. But, man, it's uh, – it's been a rough week. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> you know what? Aaron actually told me he's got a speech prepared when we get to Keeneland. When Nick Tamaro does it for the Breeders' Cup, he's got a speech ready for him. You want a preview of it? A stupid, naive, silly little goose. That's well, a little rude, Aaron, but it works out. Yeah. Uh, did, listen, they really say, did they really say goose there? Or is that a edited for Oh, TV? he said naive, stupid, silly little goose. Yes. Yeah, wonderful show you watch there, Magic. All right, um, <laughs> next pick for me. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the outside here. The 12 Isitude. Uh, it's a horse by Keen Ice. Should like the uh, the added distance here. And this one had one start at uh, at Churchill Downs. It's a hundred eighteen thousand dollar maiden special weight horse. Made a nice move. Uh, rallied up to end up finishing in second. Two and a half lengths behind the winner. Should improve second out. Completely looked awful at the break. The extra half furlong should help out uh, Isitude. So I, I threw the twelve on the ticket as well here. Nine to two. Uh, I threw this off. Um... I think that this horse is going to be extremely overbet based off of what we saw. And by the way, thirty-seven to one on debut. 
nine to two here, huge jump. And we're going to be stretching out and it's enticing when you see them rally like that. So nicely uh, when they're going six furlongs, like, Oh, if they go longer, it doesn't always work out. They don't always have that same kick, that same ability there. Um, did look good on debut for that position. Our trainer, Lacey Pierce, former assistant for Wayne Catalano. She just went out on her own, uh, I think a couple months ago. So that's why you only see 13 starters for her, but she already does have a win. And she was the one who also was in charge of uh, handling Aloha West when he was in his Breeders' Cup Sprint campaign last year. So she knows what she's doing with dirt sprinters, it seems like. I'm going to play against, though. I just think that this is not a good spot for this horse at 9-2. to two. Again, I like some other horses at a price. And the difference there, 37-1, to 9-2, that's keeping me away from him, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand, but you're going to lose because of it. Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Brian Hernandez Jr. picked up the mount first time out for her, and then now <laughs> it's coming back and riding again. It's a, mm -hmm. a jockey who's 20%, very, does very well at Churchill Downs, generally not going to ride for Barnes, and I realize that she's just out on her own. So there's a little bit different than like just that really small barn, but still not a ton of starters yet. And the fact that he rode this horse first time out and now riding back, I think is a positive sign. Um, also, it's tough to know really what to expect from first-time starters from Lacey Pierce. I think that's another reason why you're going to see horses first time that's out, true. not first not get bet, right? And so that kind of allows the, the, that 38 to 1 uh, to be a little more passable to me. Other one I went with here, uh, the four horse, Arrogate Spirit, second out for Ron, Ron Arquette. I like the fact we're adding blinkers here. I thought the horse ran well in debut. Um, and so then to add the blinkers, which is 16% move for Arquette, Moquette, Mo sorry, Ron Moquette, not Arquette. <laughs> Wrong family. I was going to let you keep going. Yeah, just, it's fine. No, you know, scream, scream, what, 18 is coming out soon. He might be in that one again. Might be the grandfather. Um, so, yeah, Airgate Spear coming, coming in here. And Slam Dunk Racing sending this horse in. I, I know Slam Dunk pretty well. know Nick pretty well. They don't send horses around the country unless they think they're going to absolutely fire. Uh, and so this is one that I, I think they're going to – they're pretty high in the spot that they found for Airgate Spirit here. So we'll, we're going to go with 4, 5, 11, and 12 to try and get through here. I went three deep, and you talked about uh, the second one here as well, Arrogate Spear. This was my second choice. I uh, Slam Dunk Racing owned by run by Nick Casado. That's the breeder here. Um, Aaron knows who the dam is. Aaron knows who this horse's half-brother is. His name is Whitmore. He famously won the Breeders' Cup Sprint He's uh, good. at Keelan, going six furlongs. Yeah, he ended up being pretty good. Uh, also, uh, a bit of a, more than a bit of a nutcase from what we've learned from the Moquette family. And it seems like Arrogate Spirit has a little bit of that uh, spirit as well. Uh, it, it says in the notes here, Tyler Gaffleone got bucked in the pre-race parade. And that to me says a lot about the horse to still, you know, fight on and, and to have something so screwy go on that you're scared in your first race and you throw the rider and they have to put him back on and you're all worked up. And he still ran third. He, he passed a couple of horses. Isatu did uh, finish ahead of him there, but I like that we're adding blinkers here. 16% move for Mocut. Now he's got the race experience. Tyler Gaffleone. Not scared of the horse, decides, you know, that, that wasn't that bad getting thrown. I'm going to hop back aboard here. So uh, I like some of the work pattern as well. Um, I think he's sitting on a good effort here. And at 12 to 1, I, I feel like with, you know, Gaffleon and Sires are the top two riders at the meet. You got to use him. Yeah. What, what price does this horse go off at? Let's play this game because I think the morning line is way off at 12 to 1. <laughs> I do too. Aaron, you want to hold up fingers what you think it is? I'm going to say 6 to 1. I, mean, I, I think I the horse is. Yeah, five, Aaron says. I, I was in that five to six to one range as well. I, I don't know how you get in 12 to one on this one in nine to two um, on the on the 12 when they ran together last time and the four horse had showed more speed and it, you would think is going to improve second time out here. And I just the triple the price seems off to me. Um, <laughs> it's for all the money line or the morning. I see ML and think money line morning line odds. Uh, Mark says another reason I handicap on Wednesday into morning line odds. I do that. I like to do that a lot. I usually don't see the odds until. Sometimes as we're doing the show, I go, oh, that's what the odds are for that horse. Uh, and then Dr. Tang, race eight, right as we're talking, 10 to one morning line wins at five to one at Keelan. That's I'm not cool. watching. Who won the last race? I'm actually focusing on the show right now instead of watching the last at Keelan. Aren't you proud of me, Magic? I am. I'm surprised. Are you feeling okay? Is your internet slow? Is that what's happening? No, I'm angry at Aqueduct. That's why I'm drinking red uh, wine during the show. And so I just didn't watch the last of Keelan. Uh, my top pick real quick. Uh, I'm going to go with the number nine power seeker for Brad Cox. You talked about it, Micah, when you're first uh, discussing the race. A lot of these horses that are run a bunch leave a lot to be desired. This horse has never disappointed anybody. And it's Brad Cox with Joel Rosario. Distorted humor is a pretty strong sire. Uh, horses debuting at three or older, 15%, well above average almost double what the average is. Uh, he's also a 17% dirt sprint sire, well above average. He's got one older sibling that raced. She won her debut at age two, sprinting on the dirt. 
Cox is five for 26 when he debuts uh, older horses at Keeneland in dirt sprints over the last five years. You got Rosario to ride a couple of those. I love that Rosario is going to be here. And I love that I'm getting six to one because not only is that a value to me, but then there's three to one on a bad favor that I'm trying to beat. So I really like the way this sets up for this horse. And I really think that if he can, you know, if, if Cox has got him ready and Cox wouldn't put him in Keeneland Saturday, if he wasn't ready. I think he's got a great chance here. Yeah, this is a race where I would not want to make the morning line. To, to like, just to give credit to Keeneland's morning line maker, morning line makers around the world. It is a thankless job <laughs> and it's extremely difficult, right? Um, the nine, uh, power seeker, first out for Brad Cox. The six, pricing power, the first out for Chad Brown. Very difficult to figure out what type of money you're going to get on those two horses in this spot. Montauk Point, another one, 10 to 1 on the morning line, but coming in and has races good enough to win this up in New York as well. So, this is a tough race to set a morning line for. And I think you either have to decide, hey, I'm going to give a shot to the six and the nine, the two first-time starters from Marquis Barnes okay. that are 20-plus percent that can debut older and win, uh, who got good jockeys to ride here, Jose, uh, Ortiz and Rosario. Or you're kind of leaving them off the ticket and you say, hey, I want someone who's a little more experienced and has run a couple times to be able to try and get the job done. I went for the more experienced horses. If I went deeper here, the six and the nine would be the next two on my ticket. If I wanted to leave you know, the 11 off or the 12 off, the six and the nine would be the next two on my ticket because I do think they're the ones that have a shot at upsetting the apple cart here first out. This is just a tough race at six and a half furlongs against experienced horses to debut in, and that's why I did not go that direction. Let's move on. My third leg of the late pick five at Keeneland on Saturday, October 29th, race eight, 12 three-year-old males plus four also eligible. Going a mile, two turns on the turf into grade three, Brian Station stakes. And every time I think about this race, I think about the damn horse that won it at 73 to one uh, Breeders' Cup uh, Friday uh, at Keeneland in 2020. And just like that race, this looks like kind of a hot mess from a perspective other than the top uh, on a couple of choices here. We're going... Uh, Give me ready, ready to perform on top. The one horse here has gotten better and better. Done well at a mile. I like the post for Joel Rosario. Should be able to show speed and save ground around the first turn. There is quite a bit of speed sight on here, so I'm not sure we make the lead from the rail. But you should at least see Rosario hustle ready to perform out and probably sit in that third or fourth spot inside second tier. Um, and from there, I think he's got a pretty good shot at winning. That last race is one where I'm just not worried about it. Look, we tried to go a mile and five sixteenths to Kentucky Downs after never going further than a mile and a sixteenth. Seemed like a pretty big ask. Actually went off as the favorite. Um, but the race before that, the Hall of Fame ran well at Saratoga. Was able to take that field gate to wire. We're carrying 124 at Kentucky Downs as well, dropping to 122 today. That should help out, as, as should the cutback. So give me the one ready to perform at five to one on top. Uh, that is my top pick as well. That is Aaron's top pick as well. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the preview at RacingDudes.com. Uh, he also likes ready to perform. Uh, this horse has always seemed like he's got a lot of talent. He had those two wins to start the career, goes to Del Mar, doesn't draw into the juvenile turf, and then has a trip uh, where he is way too far back on that turf course at Del Mar. And just, I mean, he was able to, to close, you know, six lengths on the winner, but wasn't only able to get up for seventh. But horse has a ton of talent. And he nailed it perfectly. I think we're getting five to one because he disappointed as the favorite in a race. He really wasn't meant for now that we've, you know, they tried it. We look at it now and go, okay, that wasn't the spot for him. So um, I'm with you on that horse. Uh, next up for me is going to be the number eight wit at three to one. He is the favorite, but and I wanted to try and play against him because I'm also using ready to perform, but he just has looked too good in those two turf miles. Uh, he gets a really good second to ready to perform in the hall of fame two back. And then he goes out and he wins gate to wire and shows a different dimension. He's got the ability to sit on or sit, or I guess he did go to her. I'm sorry. So he sits off of both of those uh, and both of those efforts. I think with Jose Ortiz riding for the third straight time, it seems like a great spot. I just wish he was better than three to one. Yeah. Um, well, we've been talking about the morning lines. Although this is a tough race. I, I think I think three to one is probably a fair price on Witt in this spot. This is my third horse on the ticket. Um, I, I'm going five deep here because I am going to throw in a couple prices. But I did like Wit. Has done absolutely nothing wrong since going over to the grass. You mentioned it. Ran second to, to ready perform. We're both of our top pick. Um, Jose Ortiz ends up here versus some other spots that would have been logical. Uh, and we'll talk about one of those horses. And I'm not using that that. I'm just kind of surprised doesn't have a different jockey. Um, but, you know, we talked about how Pop Pletcher's been as well. He's been on fire at Keeneland and at Belmont. I, I don't want to leave this horse off right now. One that we all thought was super talented at two. And he's kind of turning yep. into the horse we expected on turf now at three. I don't understand why Fort Washington is 15 to one. Can someone explain this to me? Like, I, I'm going to use the three horse. I, I, like 15 to one seems like a wild pipe dream, right? Well, I think you'll get it. Uh, to, what? To me, I... I 
I think you're gonna get it. You don't? Aaron doesn't think so either. No, I don't Aaron, know. No, no. Okay, no. <laughs> this is why I don't make morning lines. Ask John White. I don't know. I think Fort Fort Washington beat Annapolis. Or no, I'm sorry, did not beat Annapolis. Beat uh, Portfolio Company, and Portfolio Company is sitting on the board at eight to one. And I could argue that Fort Washington has every chance to take a step forward here. Second off a layoff, second later in a three-year-old campaign, uh, like. Was was five to one last time out against a couple of these in here and had an awful start and still ran out and almost made up all the ground. I, I think Fort Washington should be like nine to two in this spot, and we're getting fifteen to one, which seems just just crazy to me. Well, you're gonna. I, I mean, look at portfolio company. He takes. He sucks so much money, and and now we've got. This is the one you want to talk about. Why is Florent Giroux on this horse? I'm not touching him. Why the hell is Florent Giroux? Nobody wants to ride this horse. Nobody. Okay. Sia, Rosario, Ortiz, Blast, they're all there. <laughs> and Brad, it's Florent on the brown horse. <laughs> Gaff Leone's, shit, Gaff Leone rides for him once in a blue moon. I mean, man. Wild. Wild it's like, by the way, we didn't talk about it, but Flo was not on the Brad Cox debuting in the last race that I was using. He was riding for Nick Zito, who he's ridden three times for in 2018 and never since. So, you know, Follow the uh, follow the smell trail here. Uh, portfolio company. I wanted to try and, and use him, but yeah, Florent Giroux. No, 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 no. That's a big, just red flag. I, again, this horse has been ridden by Rosario, by Pratt, by Irad, and this is who you end up with here in a race that you could get someone if you thought the horse was going to be really successful. So just yeah, it was just shocking to me that Giroux ends up here. It's the reason I did not use this one. I did use Balnikov here for Damato, who gets Gaffione aboard. Uh, the, Two horse in this spot, been running in California, but I, I kind of respect, and this may come back to bite me. I respect the modern what he's been able to do on the turf, specifically in the last couple of years. Little Red Feather has this one. They place horses extremely well. I thought the best effort, their best two efforts have been at a mile for this horse in the, in the Singletary and then coming back in the ocean side. There's a ton of speed in here. This horse has big time late kick. If there's someone that's absolutely charging from the clouds, I think it's a two horse ball in the coffin in this spot. I cannot believe you. you're still picking Phil D'Amato horses in Kentucky. <laughs> How many times are you going to keep doing this? I don't think I've done it that much. Gregorian Chan, every time he pops his head up for one. Well, that that's, you're always like, that's been him. in New York more than Kentucky. <laughs> I just mean in general, I can't do it. It's a, you started off your argument saying, he's a California horse. Done. I'm out. I'm good. I know, I know how much you you like to slander won, your own state. His it's one fine. win in America wasn't even against Open Company in California. It was restricted to horses who had never won a stakes at a mile or over, meaning horses that in California standards were. Yeah, that's the race you can point to. Yeah. Who, else, who else are you using here, Magic? I would like a bottle of tequila this weekend. <laughs> well, I'm not playing that. No. <laughs> See, this is. That doesn't even make sense. Number seven, Double Clutch, is another horse that I am using in here. Uh, oh, Rusty Arnold, this horse is 10 to 1 on the morning line. This is a horse that we're trying, that, that Rusty Arnold is trying to get back on track. He broke his maiden over this course in distance in April. Very strong. Uh, beat a horse in chasing the crown, uh, who was in third place, one next out. He goes, uh, takes some time off, returns to the Manila Stakes, going to Mount of Belmont. We're second to Annapolis. We're ahead of the horse that you and I both have on top and ready to perform. And then, we, you know, Saratoga, the Hall of Fame stakes, something goes awry there, doesn't quite have the same kick. And then, just like we said, with ready to perform, he tried setting the pace in the Dueling Grounds Derby. First of all, never his style. Second of all, mount of 516s, probably not for him either. And he fades pretty hard. And now we're getting 10 to 1 on him here. I think this is a great spot, but he's going to have, I'm anticipating that he's going to still be able to reverse it. I think he still has a ton of talent. I can't get over the fact that how good he looked earlier this year. And Arnold's not dropping him down in class. He's not removing him from uh, from stakes competition. He is eligible for nine winners and one other than allowance still. But we're still trying the stakes races. Yep, I used him. All the reasons you said. I actually think you get 10 to 1 on this one because of the connections. Um, Lannery and Arnold probably don't take as much money, especially in a deeply competitive race like this. Uh, you just scratch out the last and everything else fits, especially if the horse is able to improve. So I, I think this is a good call on the seven compared to the last horse that you're using, which is a terrible call. And I will happily do a head-to-head -head bet for a bottle of tequila. Oh, no, because this is this is, this one's a, a home run swing, my last oh. one. Did we did we talk all of your – yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Bree, um, real quick, Pratt and Irad are both at Aqueduct. They're both at Aqueduct for the weekend. I, are they trying to win a writer's title? I didn't quite understand why they would both skip it because it's just the one day that they're there, and then I think they come back to Keeneland again. So, anyways, yeah, not, yeah they're yeah, both in positive, New York. They've been on they've been on the backwood cards all all weekend. 
Um, okay, so the last one for me. It's a big home run swing here. 20 to 1, number 11 mm -hmm. stolen base. This horse is a mother effing roller coaster. You never know. Is he going to run well or is he going to throw up a dud? I don't know, but at 20 to 1, I'm willing to take a shot because on his best day, he can win this race. He beat Balnikov in uh, the grade two American turf back in May. He was a late running second in the bourbon over this course last year. It is the bomb who ends up being the mutual winner of the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. He's got to win in two seconds and three starts in Kentucky grass. Maybe it's the Kentucky grass that he loves. Maybe that's why he ends up doing well at Keeneland or Churchill. Eh, just not so much any other place. I can't figure it out, but it is Mike maker. This horse probably shouldn't be here. He seems in over his head based off of his recent form. Maker's still going with him. And don't forget maker won the juvenile turf with fire at will two years ago at 30 something to one. He knows what he's doing with these turf horses. And if you give him the chance at a big price with a horse that is proven, there are proven points on his resume. I'm going to use him now. I'm only using because he's 20 to one. If he's, if he's like 10 to one, no, he's not worth it. Yeah. Terrible pick. <laughs> he has no chance of winning. He, I, I like you. You can point back. I get your point back to that. That one race where he won at Kentucky. And yes, he beat Balnikoff that day. And I was kind of frustrated about that. Cause I think I was on Balnikoff now that you mentioned him. Jared, I think had stolen base and we were at the Derby. And Jared got all excited and celebrating and bet $0 on stolen base. And I had money on Balkov, which is probably the most frustrating thing in the world when you're at the racetrack with a friend and the person's like, I really like this horse, but then doesn't bet them. And then cheers wildly for them to beat your horse, which you have money on. Dick move. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> I also, I how many horses in this field can say that they finished ahead of the Kentucky Derby winner? He was second in the Bataglia. Rich Drake was fourth. Yeah. On a, on, on Polytrack. Okay. Like. His best races arguably are on polytrack outside of that one race that came out of absolutely nowhere, never has been recreated at Churchill Downs. So when you say he's hit or miss, he's one for 11 in good races. So you're, you're hoping he runs back to that one race and that no one else improves. That's how he wins this. And it, by the way, that was a mile 16th. He wants every bit of like a mile and an eighth. That is my biggest knock on stolen base. A mile is just a little bit too short for him. It, it, that was a concern for me, you know, but again, 20 to 1. I, I get it. That, that is a valid concern. He's 0 for 4, and he's only finished second. So we, uh, are we a mile one away. bottle or two bottles of tequila straight up 10 versus 11? Or two versus one 11? Time he, the one time he was second going a mile is a Kentucky Downs. You can't, that's like a mile on the 16th there, too, right? So can't even really count it. So uh, did we hit all yours? I know you're going five deep. Did we hit all yours? Yeah, we did. I'm going one, two, three, seven, eight. Perfect. We'll move on. The penultimate leg, take a shot at Tequila, you motherfucker. Uh, the leg pick five at Keelan on Saturday, October 29th of grade two. Fayette Stakes for six older horses going to mile and eighth on the main track. The question is not, did Magic take a Brad Cox horse on top for the fourth straight race? It is which Brad Cox horse he took on top for the fourth straight race. However, question for you, where'd you go on top? I mean, I singled first captain who's going to win this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, I went with first captain on top, who has improved the last three out, uh, lost to Olympiad and American Revolution, who would both be one to nine in this field. Uh, time before that, just missed a dynamic one, who'd be one to nine in this field. And the race three back one, and uh, that race would make him one to nine in this field. So I'm going to go ahead and single the four horse first captain. I used him. I went too deep here. My one concern with him was uh, was the pace setup. Is 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 somebody going to scoot away? And with that in mind, I thought maybe the one West will power to do it. So I went one four here in this spot. Um, you know, the, the race last time out, going a mile and eighth at Churchill, he drew the rail, he broke well, he was handled well, and he took off. I, I, if he can replicate that sort of a trip, um, I think he's got a good chance here. It's just a matter of uh, the pace set up. And first captain, I mean, those, those two uh, great efforts he had in the Suburban and Kentucky or Jockey Club Gold Cup, uh, they came in a mile and a quarter. You're cutting back to a mile and eighth. Are you worried at all about that, that cut back to the mile and eighth distance? Because he does, he looks and runs like a true mile and a quarter horse. He does. I, I, he won at seven furlongs, which makes me a lot less concerned. I mean, when a horse can win going one turn, I, I'm not worried about a, a furlong cutback from a mile and a quarter to a mile and an eighth. It shows they have a turn of foot at pretty much any distance. Also shows that he has some tactical speed. I actually think the sixth last samurai is the horse that probably gets the lead. Um, I, I don't think he has any choice but to go. Went 45 and change for an opening half mile and a mile race a couple back. I think that's your cheap speed. I think the, maybe the one presses, but like you don't see Rosario getting speed duels very often going a mile and an eighth. It seems like he's probably going to sit a little bit off with that one. And Saez is one of those jockeys that I trust more than most to read the form and realize I can't be 10 lengths back here. I've got to be in striking distance, turning for home, and I'm on the best horse. I'll get the job done as long as I don't lose this for the horse. 
was trying to figure out this horse sold for one and a half million dollars, but uh, Bobby Flay probably got a nice new kitchen set with that money. Um, the dam was a, a, a multiple stakes winner going long too. So I, I think the horse is, if you're going to single him, I don't, I don't hate you for it. I just was thinking pace wise, is, is he going to, is West willpower going to be able, once he gets first jump, assume he does on first captain, will he be able to hold him back? And so that's where, but again, you know, the four is continuously improving and, and there's really no reason not to like him. Yeah. I mean, the one went one fourteen for six furlongs last time out. The four first captain went one was three lengths back of one thirteen and two, so he would have gone faster than the one did when he went wire to wire last time out. So, it, like, I agree with you. The pace could definitely play a factor here if the four is like ten lengths back. I just think the four is going to be within two lengths, and if, if that's the case, turning for home, I'll take the best horse. Yeah, the race. Uh, what was it? Two back. Uh, to, if, he, if Saez keeps him, or even the Pimlico special. Well, no, the Pimlico special. That was, I think, a little too far back. But if the suburban setup, that one. Uh, boy, I forgot about that race with him and Dynamic One too. That was a hell of a battle. And you're right too. Olympiadis going to the Breeders' Cup Classic. American Revolution was a horse for a while that Aaron had in his top ten for contenders for that race until they decided to reroute. So um, yeah, it, it's. I, I don't hate you for for singling this one. Did you think about singling in this last leg because the last leg at Keeneland, we've got a five and a half furlong turf sprint. It's a conditional allowance, but the conditions are all wacky and weird and all over the place. And you've got two Wesley Wards in here, including the eight to five favorite Illegal Smile, who's on the rail. Uh, did you single or did you think about it? Look, I, there's two horses that I thought were pretty big standouts. One of them is the one horse, Illegal Smile, who, who makes a ton of sense in this spot. Coming out of a grade three and a, and a um, listed stakes at Saratoga in the previous two races, both won by Caravelle, who's a very, very good turf sprinter. So I, I respect the heck out of what the one do, has done and sh is a deserving favorite. The six is really fast. Spicy Marg made the lead pretty much every single start uh, in her career. Uh, she's the other one I'm interested in to kind of come out there and get the lead. They're, they're both kind of reasonably chalky picks, uh, eight to five and seven to two, the two top choices on the morning line, but are obviously logically the two horses to beat here. So I didn't want to leave either of them off the ticket when they do seem like the most talented. Um, I did have one little bit spice play. Did, I'm assuming you use the one six as well. Do you have any other, anyone else to spice it up? No, that was, I was six one. If you, if you want the specific order in case the six gets loose, but uh, yeah, no, we agree on those. Tell us about the seven. Yeah, I mean, the seven caught my eye here. And this is, uh, you know, this is a daughter of violence. Violence. Two in one show. I love it, man. Um, look, cross out that last race, the grade three ladies sprint. It was six and a half furlongs. It was too far Kentucky Downs. I I'm not worried about that one. We've been at big price in all these other spots. Never really been in a competitive situation. I feel like we're getting back to a spot where we can be competitive here. And even, you know, two back lost by two lengths in that spot, uh, three back lost by just a length. Those are both overnight stakes, 153,000, hundred uh, at colonial and Ellis. Both of those from a, a buyer speed figure perspective are good enough to win this race. And you're sitting at 15 to one. Now, neither of them came in wins and both came in stakes races, which concern me because I generally am looking for, for like, that's where you get inflated buyers. A lot of the time It's when a big price runs third or fourth, in a stakes race, and they get a monster number for it because of what the, the front runners ran. But then you kind of peel the onion back a little bit, and like the win at Colonial going five and a half in a stakes back in 2021 when this horse was three projects out to those numbers that you're now seeing this horse run at four and five. So the fact of the matter is this, this logical improvement to see those numbers when you go back to a win at the, in that three-year-old season. We're getting 15 to one. I do think there's a, a healthy amount of pace here, which sets this up well for Valencia. So I'm going to take a little bit of a shot on a horse that's dropping in class. It's probably going to get overlooked in this spot. So the seven and fifteen to one's uh, sneaky to me. I didn't use, but uh, uh, I mean you're getting a good price, and there's you know there is a scenario I think in which this horse can uh, can get the job done. I know that um, when I was looking through the the PPs here, I saw that Marcus Hirsch from DRF really likes her a lot. So uh, you're not the only one who thinks that she's got a good chance in here. Uh, did you take a, the last one off for me that didn't make my ticket? Was the nine Chitara here at eight to one? A horse that hasn't seen American turf. She's Chilean bred, and her first two career starts were on turf. She was favored in both of those in Chile for whatever that's worth. But then we go 18 straight starts on the dirt, Mike, and she wins seven of those. So I get why they stuck with it for a while. But this part of me feels like, hey, we're trying something new. We've never been on the, the American turf. We've got Sheminade, who you know I like to use. Um, and he and Correas are at, you know, a, a strong 23% with a 556 ROI. Lots of things to like. But why are, this almost feels like we're going on the turf because the dirt form's fallen off and one last stab before this five-year-old goes off to be a mom. 
Yeah, Daddy Logley is not generally the the best turf sire. Um, who is the, the sire here of the of the of the nine horse Chitara? My biggest knock against Chitara is that the the path to winning I thought was going gate to wire. I don't think we're as fast as Spicy Mark, and that so mm-hmm. the the nine like spoiler alert was my fourth horse fourth horse in this race. So if I was going okay. one more deep, it would be the nine. The Ceramia is interesting to me, but Ceramia ran last weekend, so I'd be very surprised if Diodoro uh, wheels her back that quickly. Um, but who knows? I think that that's another one. The eleven who got a tough trip last weekend as a possible horse to use here, especially if courses are closing. But over the last couple of days, you haven't been able to close a lick over that turf course. Um, so I, yeah, I. I if the six scratches out, which I wouldn't be shocked to see because Ward sometimes scratches one of his two if he has one that he prefers. If the six comes out mm-hmm. of this race, I all of a sudden become a lot more interested in the nine. Cool. Yeah, I, I, one note I had too is, and this goes back to the morning line odds thing, maybe I will get it. I was saying, you know, eight to one might be too too short for me against this field. Uh, but if you gave me something like 12 to one, 15 to one, to me, then she becomes more, uh, more enticing. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. With those morning light odds. Uh, anybody in the chat? Any other horses that we missed from the chat? No, everybody's been pretty quiet about this. Nobody with Keeneland opinions. Everybody's waiting for blinkers off in 15 minutes. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, did you uh, did you look at the five horse Lemos Chuna at all? I did for trying to figure out how the hell to say the name. I I, I did because the horse is interesting. Is is three for nine at the distance. Um, all three wins at this distance, but. They were against smaller tracks, and and I never quite really know how to play that. Um, what did you think about her? Well, that the horse Creative Credit, who won two and three back, uh, is the horse that beat the seven horse two back. Um, so there, to me, there there you could put some type of parallel between the two. Now that the seven was closer than the five was to Creative Credit in either of those spots, so the seven mm-hmm. in that mind should be a shorter price than the five and one seventeen fifteen to one. The other's nine to two. Um, but it does put it in the same ballpark from a turf sprinting perspective. I, I, you don't see those connections show up very often at Keeneland. You'd expect the horse is going to fire. It's true. Yeah, it's. I mean, there are things to like about. I, di- I didn't love the nine to two. I had I had too many question marks at nine to two. I think that's what my issue was there. That's fair. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Mike Show. Thanks for joining Mike and I to talk about Keeneland's final Saturday pick five before the uh, before the Breeders' Cup. And boy, we're excited about the Breeders' Cup. Before we talk about that, Mike, let's give out our tickets one last time. I'll start off. I'm going to go three six with four five nine with one seven eight eleven with one four with one six. It's forty eight dollars. Go for it. Fifty cents. I'm going to go one three with four five eleven twelve with one two three seven eight with four with one six seven for fifty cents. That'll cost you sixty bucks. Uh, Breeders' Cup is going to be coming up next weekend. Uh, next Friday is the the future starts Friday, and then Saturday is going to be the big event with with the classic, the distaff, the turf. Uh, we got the entries being taken on Monday at 2.30, 2:30 Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, and you can follow all of that right here at YouTube.com slash Racing Dudes and at RacingDudes.com. If you haven't yet, check out the inside track to the Breeders' Cup wagering guides available for pre-sale. You get all sorts of fun goodies in there. Uh, we've gonna, Mike Summit, you're going to have an article about tournaments. I know Slim's going to be doing an article, the Life Bankle article from Aaron. There's a lot in there. But I guess for someone, why should someone get your the article or – Get the guide specifically for your article. What value does it bring? Well, um, even if you're not a tournament player, I think a lot of people would be better betters if they took a tournament perspective to their betting. And so the BCBC runs every Breeders' Cup. Uh, it's $7,500 live bankroll tournament, $10,000 to enter. Way over the bankroll for a lot of people. But one thing that people don't realize is that you can play that tournament. And I know a couple of people have done this online and kind of talked about it on Twitter. You can play that tournament for 75 bucks. You can play it for 750 bucks. Just take the exact same minimums, the exact same strategies and apply them to a bankroll of 75 or $750 and see how much you can blow it up for. One thing that you do in tournaments is you don't waste money, at least not if you want to be successful. And one thing that a lot of bettors do is waste money. <laughs> they will play every single race. They'll throw a $5 win bet in on a horse that they don't really like that much. Instead of playing you know, a $25 win bet on a horse they really like, and that one will end up being 15 because they lost two $5 win bets earlier in the card. It really teaches you a lot about bankroll management and hammering opinions. And that's a wonderful way to be betting every single day, not just in tournaments. So I'm going to write up a little bit about how I'm going to look at BCBC, where I'm going to try and take shots, how I think I'm going to try and do this with, you know, specific exacta bets or trifecta bets. Uh, some horses I think are worth a shot if you're, you're down. Um, and then just really just decide if you're doing this with your own money. Hey, am I trying to like 
blow it up as big as I can and try and see if I could win BCBC, right? Which you usually have to turn $7,500 into 160 grand to win. So it's it's a pretty big jump up. We're talking like almost, what is that? 25 to one on your money, basically, um, that you have to have to turn it into. So 25 to one on 700, I mean, look, 750 turns into 16,000 if you want to win the tournament. You have to be really strategic about where you're attacking if you want to try and turn 750 into 16,000 in two days. But you could just set yourself a goal too. Just say, hey, I'm trying to get my 750 to be five grand by the end of the two days. What a lot of people don't realize is that over a two-day period, they'll bet more than $750 and it'll be poorly placed around the board. But when you have just that 750 bankroll, you're much more selective, much more aggressive. You have a lot better chance of turning it into something like five grand. So I actually think this style would help the mass majority of bettors if they took more toward how you should bet in a cash tournament toward their everyday gambling experience. Uh, and so that's kind of how I'm trying to write this article is talking about not just the tournament perspective, but how it can help you from a gambling perspective if you're able to play in a tournament style. And speaking of tournaments, if you are interested, we're going to be having two tournaments for the Racing Dudes Tournament Challenge, one for Breeders' Cup Friday, a separate one for Breeders' Cup Saturday. Can you take home the titles for both days? I think at that point, maybe we just kind of give you the title if that's what happens. We'll just preemptively give you the December 26th title. Like, yeah, I go. Or we'll let we'll give you like a $100 head start on everybody for that one. But no, come join us. It'll be a lot of fun. And it's only $20 to join each tournament. Yep, 20 bucks to enter. One in every five will earn uh, bids into the December 26th finale where the racing dudes are putting up $500 worth of free cash into the tournament. So if you qualify, you pay $0 to play the December 26th tournament. You can win 500 bucks if you're the winner. If you're a subscriber to any of the premium products when you qualify and when you win on the 26th, there's another $250 bonus as well. So uh, being a subscriber here pays off as well if you can get, uh, get into the finale and win that puppy. And you don't wait to run for Saturday. Like Mark just very timely said in the chat, Friday's got those crazy bombs and not just the turf or not. I mean, usually the turf races, but the, the juvenile stage races. But I mean, we're talking about beforehand. It looks like you can go heavy, 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 and then single those last two if you have a strong opinion in them. But bombs all over the place on Friday. So don't wait around just for Saturdays. Take two chances at it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And, and we hope to see you over there. We we'll hope to see you over again at the YouTube channel. If you haven't yet, go check it out. I mean, you're watching us right now, so you probably have. Uh, but if you're listening to us on podcast uh, or if you're checking us out for the first time, check out our YouTube page. We've got a ton of videos coming out. Uh, we also have Blinkers Off will be coming up in uh, 10 minutes here. So if you are watching us live, stick around. Uh, keep this page open. It'll change right over to the Racing Dudes channel. But uh, we've got a lot of great videos up here and a lot more coming out. Mike has a couple of great videos looking at Flightline's place in history. Uh, if he wins the Breeders' Cup Classic, and then also Rich Strike's chances. And it's not, it, it's Mike who did it and not Jared. So, you know, you're getting a, an unbiased opinion on, on the horse. Saba! <laughs> so you've got that to look forward to. Check that out over here at the Racing Dudes YouTube channel. Uh, we've also got uh, some great videos. Aaron talked about the different three-year-olds who were all trying to win the Breeders' Cup. Uh, he's figure out which ones have the best chance. You see Nest is on there. Spoiler alert, we think she's got a good chance to do it. And then if you missed it, the pre-entries are out. We'd spend a lot of time covering that. You can catch the full show here. You can catch just the classic talk right here. That's where the meat of the discussion went. So uh, a lot here at RacingDudes.com and the YouTube channel. A lot more still to come. So please join us, Mike, before we leave. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, just make sure you subscribe. We're going to have a ton of content coming out. Magic Teaser 2 videos I'm doing will be back on Monday here for the draw. We're going to have a ton of previews coming into the weekend. We'll be live. Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday. All of us from Lexington, Kentucky. We're even trying to get Papa Dude to go. I don't know if he's going to show up or not, but we offer him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did, like they. We've actually gotten an email uh, from the Breeders' Cup saying that Jared's not allowed in the paddock for the classic because they're worried he might go give Tabe a hug. Uh, not sure how that would turn out. So, so we, there we we'll listen to them. We'll, we'll stay away from that. But yeah, we'll be live at eight p.m. Fr Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from uh, from. Lexington uh, from our nice little dudes Airbnb all hanging out and talking some horses uh, so make sure you check that out as well become with your questions and again we'll be on live on Monday no magic Mike show we are going to have um, we are going to have the 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 draw live uh, here on our YouTube channel we're gonna have dudes who bet daily for the rest of this week and dudes who bet daily will be off next week uh, because we'll all be traveling and I'll be at the racetrack so it's not gonna have time <laughs> Uh, Mark says it's unfortunate. Saskatchewan is hosting the Grey Cup, which is the, if you don't know, that's the championship for uh, the CFL, and it rotates every year. A new city gets it. They have an awful team. It's a rough year for Rough Nair. Ah, screw the Rough Riders. They were kind of hard to bet sometimes this year. Uh, I love, if you can still get them, I love the BC Lions at about 5-1 to one to still win this title. So you can take it. 
check the the different international sports books that may offer that after this. See if we can get a little five to one action. When is that game? How long am I tying my money up for? Uh, I think you got three weeks. Three. Uh, wait, the last last regular season week is this week, so I think you've got three or four weeks. That's not too bad then. We've got uh, the Ravens heading into Tampa Bay tonight. Tampa Bay laying two now. This opened at Baltimore minus two. It's gone the other way. Uh, kind of surprised the Bucks are now laying points. Um, I would take the Ravens, but the Ravens are riddled with injury here. Out Two cornerbacks out. Um, you're missing uh, Andrews is, is a game-time decision. Looks like he's trending toward playing Mark Andrews for Baltimore. I played the team total over on the Baltimore side. You can get it from between 21 and a half and 23, depending where you look. Uh, look, this is one of those spots where Tampa is just decimated by injuries in their secondary. Their top three cornerbacks are out. Their top safety is out. Their slot cornerback, who was playing safety last week, has a concussion, couldn't clear concussion protocol by the time this game started. So you're seeing four of the top of four <laughs> secondary players out for Tampa Bay. On top of that, you have Lamar Jackson facing an NFC team, something he's traditionally been very good at because you don't get to see Lamar Jackson's style of offense very often. Counterpoint, they have played Philadelphia uh, a couple times in the last year, uh, Tampa Bay. So they have seen some version of it, but Lamar's a little more dynamic there. So I think I think Baltimore's going to be able to move the football up and down the field. I think you're going to see some deep shots off play action, specifically Gus Edwards is back. Dobbins is questionable for tonight. So the offensive side of the football definitely favors the Ravens. I don't know if the Ravens going to be able to keep them keep the Bucks off the board as well. So that's why I went with Ravens team total versus just playing the Ravens. But I would take Ravens money line and lean toward the over in the game as well. But my my only full unit bet pregame right now is going to be the Ravens over twenty three as a team. Yeah, I don't know if there's been enough time since the last game for uh, Tom Brady's old lineman to get over the uh, the screaming that he was doing at him. Uh, but I was looking at this just now for the first time. Both teams over against the spread, so. Uh, you really someone's don't have any help. The good news is someone's not going to be over against the spread, so you got a fifty percent chance of getting that one, getting that one right. I would take ugh, in this game. I would take Baltimore if I had to, but I don't know. I mean, it's the best stuff. Thursday night game we've had in a while. <laughs> Saying something, yeah, angry Grandpa Brady who's uh, going through uh, second divorce, midlife crisis, all sorts of things. That's okay, Tom. You got your money to keep you warm at night. I mean, how good, are the, how good could that marriage have been if you're picking this Bucks teams over it? Just saying. Like, it, must, it must have been pretty bad. Uh, there's other things I would say. I'm gonna, we're just going to cut this short. Stay tuned for Blinkers Off. They're going live in five minutes. Well, maybe five minutes. I don't know. They're scheduled to go live in five minutes. We'll see if they uh, – if they're. I know Aaron's ready for it, so tune in uh, for that one. They'll be covering – they're actually going to be talking all about the Breeders' Cup pre-entry. So if you missed some of the talk before, they're going to do more in-depth. You know, we were kind of covering it live on the fly. Now I've had time to think about it. We've got the PPs now, which are great. So uh, check that out. Make sure you come back here tomorrow at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for Dudes Who Bet Daily. And then, again, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've got all sorts of fun stuff. And hey, there's a hot photo here in the chat. Oh, man, it's gone. Okay. I blocked Until it. Sorry. Follow oh, us on Twitter. Man. I'm at Curtis Kellard. He is at some of them 18 number one corporate overlords at racing underscore dudes. Mr. Samich, uh, how do I just screw this up? <laughs> Until yeah. next time, I'm Magic. I'm Mike. See you tomorrow. The Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com.